Good morning. Our call to worship is from Psalm 139. Will you stand with us and we'll sing it together. search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Do that. 
please be seated. You'll see in your order uh, that uh, we're going to continue our worship through uh, ordaining Rob Glopke as an elder uh, here at LSBC. So I want to invite uh, Rob to come forward. Also, Ozzy Santiago is going to come up as a representative of the current elders. Rob, you can stand here in the middle. Before, uh, before I ask Rob these uh, six vows as an, as an elder, I just want to remind you, Rob, and all of us of what we're doing here. There's a, note, there's a note in your order, um, but when we ordain an elder, uh, this is a long process. It's just a reminder that uh, Rob was nominated by the congregation, and that nomination was received by the, the current elders. That He then went through officer training and was examined by the elders in theology and in the sense of call to serve as an elder, and then presented back to the congregation for a vote, and you all voted to say that you want Rob to serve as a ruling elder. So. This is a good sign of, of, of the church and how the church works. It's not just individuals, but that we collectively are gathered in the name of Christ. And that God, as God forms his church, God loves his church, and that one of the ways that God shows his love is raising up people to serve as leaders and officers in the church. And so we give thanks um, for you, Rob. Thank you for your family. And also just a thanks to God that God is gathering us, um, not just to be, I said, saved as individuals, but formed as a people. So we give thanks. The last thing I'd mention, just as, as, we, as a chance to re be reminded of Presbyterian. Presbyterian is the Greek word for elder. And it's a reminder that our church is not led by one person. I don't, I don't like own the church. I don't, you know, it's not the church doesn't belong to me as the pastor. But that there is a group of elders that collectively lead the church. There's a, a belief in the plurality of leaders, that one person's not in charge. But collectively, uh, hoping collectively bringing wisdom and humility, we can lead the church together. And so it is a reminder, again, of God's care and his grace and how he forms his church. So let me pray for our time. Lord, I thank you for who you are, a God that saves sinners and a God who gathers them together as a people, a family. We thank you for Rob and for Elizabeth and for Mabel and George and Otto. We pray that you would bless them and we pray this time would be a great affirmation to him and the gifts you've given him, but also an encouragement to all of us of the work that you're doing in our church. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Rob, let me ask you these uh, questions. And then after I ask Rob questions, I'll ask the congregation a question as well. But remind you, Rob, that you uh, answer these before not only your church, but Almighty God. Rob, do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as originally given to be the inerrant word of God? the only infallible rule of faith and practice. Do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith and catechisms of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? And do you further promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the fundamentals of this system of doctrine, you will, on your own initiative, make known to your session the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of this vow? Do you approve of the form of government and discipline of the Presbyterian Church in America in conformity with the general principles of biblical polity? Do you accept this office and promise faithfully to perform all the duties thereof and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your life and to set a worthy example before the church of which God has made you an officer? And do you promise subjection to your fellow elders in the Lord? And you promise to strive for the purity, peace, unity, 
and edification of the church. All right, so now I'll ask a question. So if this, if you're a member of LSBC or if this is your home church, I invite you to respond. There's, you'll see a question here and you can respond by saying, we, uh, I do. Do you, the members of Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church, acknowledge and receive Rob as a ruling elder and do you promise to yield him all that honor, encouragement, and obedience in the Lord to which this office, according to the word of God and the constitution of this church, entitles him? Do you? I do. Amen. So Ozzie's, Ozzie's going to offer a prayer. Here, I'll switch. Actually, Rob, we should I'm have you kneel, <laughs> and we'll offer a prayer for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our brother, Rob, Lord. We thank you for the call that you've placed on his life that has come through your church to him and that he has uh, heard and he has responded to from the church and also from you, Lord. Father, we pray that you would set him apart for this work, for this ministry, and Lord, that he would, uh, he would know, Lord, that you have chosen him and selected him to do this work to serve your people. We thank you, Lord, for his family, for Elizabeth, for Mabel, and for George, and for Otto, Lord. We pray that you would bless them and take care of them and support them uh, during this time of his ministry. And Lord, that you would uh, continue to bless them. And Father, I pray for Rob, that you would empower him by your spirit, that he would be full of love for your church, the same love that you have that pours out generously, Lord, that he would follow the example of Christ in, gi in giving his life for the sheep as a good shepherd, that he would follow that example and, f and take up his cross to follow you. And Lord, that he would be full of your spirit so that he might be as Joseph or as Daniel, as one who is full of the spirit as, he, as he's called to govern and to lead people. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this gift that you've given to us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so I get to read a pronouncement. Um, Rob, I now pronounce and declare that you, Rob Globke, have been regularly elected, ordained, and installed as a ruling elder in this church, agreeable to the word of God and according to the constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America, and that is such that you are entitled to all encouragement, honor, obedience in the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, well, Melinda's going to come up and offer a prayer on behalf of the congregation as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks as a church that you have called Rob to the role of elder at LSPC. In our thankfulness, we are not surprised because Rob has served here in many other ways. The help, care, and encouragement that Rob, along with Elizabeth, give is a reminder of your faithfulness and a blessing to our church. Along with their great commitments to Hockey Ministries and to their families, they have served us in a way that often feels astounding. Now, in this new role as elder, we ask your help for Rob that he will continue to serve us in humility and lead us in wisdom. 
we ask that you watch over Rob, Elizabeth, Mabel, George, and Otto, and that each of them would grow in faith all the more because of their part in our church community. Remind us to care for Rob and his family as they have cared for us. Help LSPC to share your love and grace with them, with each other here, and with our neighbors. Amen. So please join me at this time for our prayer of invocation. Our Father, we thank you that you have called us once again into your presence. We thank you that some of us have had a fruitful and fulfilling week in work, in ministry, or in time with friends and family. We thank you for providing us and our families with what we need. We thank you that you have not left us as orphans but have, but have made us your family, adopted as your children. Yet, Lord, some of us labor under heavy burdens that are more than we can bear. We feel tied to circumstances or enslaved by habits that drain us of life and cause us to despair of ever knowing freedom. Some of us face the reality and mystery of death, either our own or in grief over the ones we have lost wondering what the future has in store for us and for them. We look around and see people hungry and thirsty for righteousness, but who come away with empty bellies and parched throats. We search for life and for hope for ourselves and our families and our communities, but what we find is a wasted and wild desert bereft of life and new beginnings. But Lord, you remind us that your salvation and righteousness are forever. We are here because you have drawn us and Jesus bids us to come to him. We are here because we need rest. We are here because we are hungry and thirsty and need to be filled by your word and your spirit. Help us to come to our Lord Jesus and find our rest in him. Help us to see him offered through the good news and the holy sacrament, to cling to him in faith and to turn away from false idols that leave us empty and alone. We come for the food that will not perish. We do not need to look for any other person or search in any other place. Help us to know that when we hear the word preached today, you hold Christ up before the eyes of our hearts to see and know him in faith, that in him, instead of fear and dismay, we know comfort and peace. We pray these things in his name, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, blessed forever. Amen. At this time, children are dismissed uh, for children's worship. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, if we... Oh. This is a, a time for our confession, I'm sorry. Um, so I just wanted to share something that Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote. He said, if we stay alone with our sin, we are utterly alone. Come as the sinner that you are to your God who loves you. For God wants you as you are, 
not desiring anything from you, a sacrifice, a good deed, but rather desiring you alone. God wants to see you as you are, wants to be gracious to you. At this time, let us first confess our sins together as a, as a body and then follow, by, follow that by a time for silent confession. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too much for me. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sign is not hidden from you. My strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. But in you, O Lord, do I hope. It is you, O Lord, my God who will answer. Please take this time to silently confess your sins before God.
Oh, Lord, grant to your faithful people pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please rise for our words of assurance from Scripture that God hears us and forgives our sin. Let's read together. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. As Christ has welcomed us into God's family, let us welcome one another this morning.
difficile. Good morning. The Old Testament lesson is from Isaiah chapter 51, verses 1 through 8. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation, for a law will go out for me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look to the earth beneath. For the heavens vanish like smoke, the earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worn will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. The gospel lesson is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah, it's good to be here looking at God's Word. Thank you, Sebastian, for, for reading for us. Uh, as you'll see, we'll, we're going to continue our summer series for uh, at least a few more weeks and uh, look at the, the words of life from the New Testament. Um, and so today we are uh, looking at 1 Thessalonians, the first letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. And the key word is uh, hope. So each week we've been looking at a different book of the New Testament and looking at a key word that helps us think about what God has done or is doing for us in Christ. And so before we read our, our passage, though, from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, I want to mention this novel. It has an interesting name, Mysterious Flame of Queen Luana. It's by someone named Umberto Eco. And in this novel, it's built on this idea of a man suffering a traumatic experience, an experience that changes how his mind or how his memory work. When he wakes in the hospital, he finds that he can remember everything that he's read. He can remember all sorts of facts, like an encyclopedia or Wikipedia. He can call to mind long passages. He can list out long you know, lists of facts. But the same person, he cannot remember his name. He doesn't know where he lives. He can't remember his wife's name or who she is, his home, his children. I don't know if such a medical condition exists, but it makes for an interesting novel. And one of the things that the novel does is it kind of explores this difference between knowing what we might call a knowledge of facts, kind of 
detached knowledge versus our personal experience, things that we know about ourselves or about who we are. This two categories, a kind of detached knowledge or detached facts versus uh, personal knowledge or personal experience, those categories are helpful for us to feel the, the significance of the passage that we're going to read in just a moment. For the people in Thessalonica and all of us as well, we know that living organisms die. We know that it happens all the time, sometimes quietly and sometimes tragically. And the people who received this letter at first, they lived 2,000 years ago and in another part of the world, but they knew the facts of mortality. In the Roman Empire, even though it was you know, held up for its greatness, the infant mortality rate was almost 30%. And half the children died before they reached the age 10. And while some lived longer, the life expectancy rate was 35 years. They who lived in that time, in that setting, like us, knew that death was inevitable. Whether you're rich or poor, famous or forgotten, it was before you. And yet there are moments there are moments in which we realize mortality and death, it's more than just a fact. It's more than just something that we know to be true. It becomes personal knowledge, right? Maybe it's in moments where we feel great fear around an illness or condition that we have. Or maybe it's the painful loss of one that we love, a parent or a child, a sibling or a spouse, a friend or a coworker. In these moments, it's not just a fact, it's something that we experience and that we walk through the valley of the shadow, as the Psalms say. And we don't know the details of those who received this letter from Paul, but what we do know is that they had experienced the loss of many in their community that they loved deeply. That brothers and sisters in their church had passed away. And that result, that consequent, like that event brought forth fear into their hearts, it brought a challenge to their faith, it filled them with grief. We can imagine them asking Paul or Timothy, what about our brothers and sisters who have died? And this question, as we can know, is from our own experience. It's not a detached study. It's not just something you look up, but it flows from personal experience. And so when Paul writes 1 Thessalonians, he writes to those he loves <coughs> to tell them a message of hope. He writes to those he loves to tell them a message of hope. He does not discourage them <coughs> from grieving. He does not discourage them from grieving for lament and mourning are important aspects of this life and the biblical witness. They're not signs of a lack of faith. Rather, Paul writes saying that he hopes that they can grieve with hope. They can grieve with hope. So let's look at our passage. This is from 1 Corinthians 4, verses 13 through 18, to hear these words. You can follow in your order of worship or in your Bible. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as those do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is God's word given for our good. Well, as we think about this word of hope and hear and consider this passage, I want to ask two questions. The first question is, what is the hope that Paul offers the church? And the second is, how do we walk in this hope? So the, the first question we can start with, what, what, what hope is being offered? What is being offered to the church in Thessalonica and to you and to me? Well, you see how he starts. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have fallen asleep, those who have passed away or died. We do not want you to grieve without hope. I think it's good to start by acknowledging that unfortunately at times this passage has been heard as Christians do not grieve. Christians do not grieve. And so we, we should start by noticing that Paul affirms our grief. Some Christians in Thessalonica have died, and in response, the response of grief and mourning in the face of such loss is appropriate. From the opening chapters of Scripture tells us that death is the enemy of the living. It is a consequence brought into the world through human sin, that death is not the way things are meant to be. And our great hope in life is that death will be overcome that it will not be the final word in our lives or the lives of those around us. And therefore, it, it makes sense that we would grieve. And that in that grief, it, it could include things like anger and confusion and tears and questions. And so Paul writes, we invite you to grieve, but to grieve as those with hope. To grieve with those who have hope. Now, talking about hope can be a little bit challenging because we use that word in all sorts of ways. I'm sure we, you notice this in just everyday life. We, we can use it regarding an event or situation. You know, I hope my flight is on time. We can use it to talk about, you know, outcomes. I, I, we hope the new coach gets better results. We can think about it in terms of something insignificant. You know, I hope the coffee shop is still open when I get there. Or we can hope about something very, <coughs> very important. You know, I hope my or my, I hope the one I love, her, her surgery goes well. We use hope in all sorts of ways, big and small, but it, it expresses our desires, our expresses our wishes. And, and, but to get to what our passage speaks about, it, it might be helpful to kind of add a title, or what I, which I think we can call gospel hope. It's one of the ways the Bible even refers to it. There's a, a gospel hope. And the hope that Paul is inviting us to think about today in this word, it gets to the central promises of the gospel that God has not left you in your sin and misery, but has acted for you in Christ. This is the gospel hope. Because of God's great love for us, he has not left us in our condition, but has acted for us. This is the hope that is meant in 1 Corinthians when, when we read, that all else will pass away, but three things will abide. Three things will remain, faith, hope, and love. 
And we also read in Christ, there's one body, one spirit, one Lord, one baptism, one hope. This one abiding gospel hope is why the scripture invites us to know our God as the God of hope. The God of hope. So what is the hope that Paul offers the church in the face of death? Do you see that he references that since we believe that Jesus died and rose again? We grieve with hope because Jesus died and rose again. We grieve with hope because nothing, not even death, can separate us from the love of God in Christ. When Paul's writing about hope, he anchors it. He anchors this gospel hope in Jesus' resurrection. That Jesus died, but he walked out of the tomb because death could not hold him, and therefore he has the final word. We could say a lot of different things about this uh, hope and this reality of the resurrection, but what I I want us to to think about this morning, uh, to focus on, which I, I think Paul is getting at here, is that the gospel hope affirms our connection. It affirms our connection. Let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. Paul refers to his fellow Christians as brothers and sisters. This family language tells us in Christ, we're connected to God and connected to one another. In Christ, we belong to God as his children and we belong to one another as brothers and sisters. And the Thessalonians were wondering, are, are those who have died, are they still connected to Christ? Are we still connected to one another, even though they've passed away? And the gospel hope, hear this, it affirms our connection to God and to one another. The gospel hope affirms our connection, it affirms our position. Because Christ has died and risen, showing that nothing can overcome him, then therefore nothing in life nor death can separate Christians from God's love in Jesus. Nothing can change our union with him or alter our connection because God has established it and not even death can interrupt it. So our passage, it speaks, though, that God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. See, resurrection affirms Christ's power to hold on to us. The dead are not separated from God. Those who have died in Christ go immediately into the presence of the living God. For as we read elsewhere, to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. This is why Paul refers to those Christians who have died as they are sleeping. Some have fallen asleep. Speaking of the deceased in this way is to say that Christ and not death is the end. Death is not the final condition that the dead will rise in Christ. Saying that they are in God's care. And when Jesus appears in glory, so will they. This connection continues not just that we are connected to God in Christ, but since both the departed saints and we ourselves are in Christ, that we are connected to one another and even to those who have gone ahead of us. We share what the scriptures call the communion of the saints, that we are still brothers and sisters in Christ. 
and the spirit and worship and the Lord's Supper were connected to those who have gone ahead who are asleep. The gospel hope affirms Christ's power to hold us and to connect us. Jesus' victory over death is not just for him. Paul's writing of the future is, is not just for the purpose of predicting dates. He's not talking about Christ returning just as a, a fact. Rather, he's showing in this very personal way this link between Jesus' resurrection and our destiny, our connection with God, our connection with one another. So what is the hope that Paul offers to the church? That through God's grace, we are connected to Jesus, connected beyond ourselves to one another, and that nothing, not even death, can change this reality. This is the promise of Christ and allows us to grieve with hope. Well, the first question is, what is this hope that's being offered? The, the second question I want us to consider is, how do we walk in this hope? Uh, how do we practice the encouragement that our passage states at the end? Encourage one another with these words. And in this case, we, we're reminded that hope is highlighted, comes forth in something like, mortality or death or loss, but it's something that we can practice, the, the connection we can practice each day, knowing who we are or knowing who God is. Whenever I hear the word hope, I think of a, a poem by Emily Dickinson that she writes, hope is the thing with feathers that searches in the soul and sings the tune without words that never stops at all. And she continues, I've heard it in the chilliest of lands and on the strangest of seas. I think it's interesting that, and, it may, and helpful to me at least, that she imagines hope as this bird that perches in our soul, singing and continuing to sing even in the coldest of lands, even in the fiercest of seas or the most difficult of circumstances. Hope, the, the bird and the song has the power to get into our depths, to sing into our hearts, to help us as we walk through the valley of the shadow. It has the power to do that because it does not originate in us or depend upon us. It doesn't come from us. In this way, it helps us to, to feel the distinction between kind of an optimism that says everything will be okay Everything's going to work out because, you know, I'll work hard or, you know, I'm, I'm better than this other person or my plans are in place. But personal optimism is very different from the one abiding gospel hope. Because the, that one abiding hope can continue even in places of loss and of death and of fear. We didn't start, we didn't write the song that continues in the cold but we're invited to hear it, to receive it, and maybe even to join in singing it. And, and what does that look like? There's, again, a lot of things we could say, but one of the places we see this practiced is in the Old Testament book of Psalms and the prayer book of, of the people of Israel. The Psalms speak of hope in this kind of daily way of trusting in God, trusting in God's promise, trusting in the care that says I'm not alone 
that I am loved. Hope anticipates that God is near to his people. We heard it in the confession that we read together earlier in the service in Psalm 38, where David is miserable. He's overwhelmed. He writes that his burdens and his shame are are too heavy for him. And so he prays, it's for you, O Lord, that I wait. It's in you that I hope. We think about practicing hope today and even into the long into the future. Hope is trusting why we feel our limits, why we lean into the unknown. In this case, hope is like relying on a tried and true relationship, relying on someone outside of us. The, the psalmists and the prophets, they use all sorts of trust language to describe this idea of hope, of relying on something beyond myself in the midst of the unknown or the uncertain. Saying, trust not in a human, no matter h- how great he or she is, they just draw their strength from flesh. Trust in God. For blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. They will be like a tree planted by the water. The roots go out into the stream. It will be tempting to trust in chariots or in horses. It will be tempting to find confidence in your wisdom, in your strength, in your riches. But let the one who trusts, who finds confidence, trust in the name of the Lord the one who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. Think again about that story I mentioned in the beginning, the novel of the man who knows lots of facts, but he doesn't know who he is. He has long lists of things that he can rattle off, but he doesn't know his own name. The promise of the gospel hope that we can hold today and tomorrow and into the unknown. It's not just that we have facts about the future. Christ is coming, the dead will rise. Those things are true. It's not just though a fact. It's a message, a personal message of hope. A personal message for all of us whenever we wonder, who holds my life? Who holds the life of those that I love? Where is my confidence as I see in front of me and I don't know what life will look like or or how things will work out? Who holds me? And the gospel hope tells us not just that Christ is returning as the glorious, victorious one who rose, but that he's doing so because of his great love for you and me. May my hope in life and death be that God because of his great love for me, has taken hold of me, redeemed me, and that nothing can take me from his grip. My hope is that God holds me and that he is worthy of my trust. Encourage one another with these words, the Apostle Paul writes. Encourage one another, even in the midst of loss and uncertainty, you've chosen the right one to listen to. You've given yourself to one who is worthy of your trust in life. 
In the face of challenges and uncertainty, we over and over again must turn from false hopes, false offers of confidence, our strength, the strength of others. Someone knows exactly what's happened or what will happen, the sufficiency of our materials or our resources. We turn from those false hopes and trust in the Lord God, the one who has faced and overcome death. As we close, I want us to think about Romans chapter 5, which tells us that we are to rejoice in our sufferings. And it says this, rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts by his spirit. It'd be right for us to acknowledge, just as we grieve with hope, that the one abiding gospel hope, it's not about getting all that we wish, being left alone, escaping all challenges or painful things. Rather, it's finding something to trust and to lean upon and rest upon in the midst of this uncertain world. It's trusting beyond our resources and our strength, trusting in Christ, the one who has faced the world and overcome, who's faced our sin and death in all its fullness and overcome. Therefore, it's a hard-won hope, not just that everything will be fine, but one that looks fully into the face of loss, the face of pain, the face of death, and says that along with grief, there is hope. There is connection that Let's give us thanks for this promise, thanks for this hope, and let us walk in it. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this word, and we pray that we give us encouragement today. We are well aware of all the pain in our own life or in the lives around us or just the uncertainties that fill our world. And so, Lord, protect us from things that offer encouragement but that are false. And let us find today the encouragement of you, the one that holds us in life and death. In Jesus' name we pray. Will you please stand with us and we'll sing together.
God, your faithfulness to us knows no boundaries. Grant us eyes to see your patience and your love for us as we join with the people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. God's word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his people. As we remind ourselves of what we're participating in, this is a chance to, to think again about this uh, word from our passage that we are those who can grieve with hope. In many ways, this table is a, a picture of that. We come to a table in which Christ brings us hope through his broken body and shed blood. We have hope because he's fully entered into death and to the pains of this world to bring something forth that's new, a family. We grieve with hope that we even come, though, acknowledging our sin, that we come saying to God that we need you to feed us. We come acknowledging our shame or our shortcomings with hope not because we're going to correct everything, but hope because God meets us in his forgiveness and gives us a place in his family, even in the midst of our sin. So this is a table that acknowledges grief, but offers a hope in the midst. Christ died, his body broken, his blood shed. He was victorious, the promise that nothing in life nor death can separate us from him, that we're connected to God and to one another by his power. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this table that we can see and that we can, these elements that we can hold and taste. We do pray that your spirit, that you would meet us. Meet us in our loss and our grief, our shame and our fears. 
and speak hope, speak hope to us. The hope of forgiveness, the hope that we are known and loved, the hope that there is something greater than our sin, the hope that death is not the final word. We pray that you would impress things upon our hearts that we may walk trusting in you this day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. If you're participating in communion this morning, I invite you to come forward down the center aisle and you can receive the bread and the cup and go back on the sides. Uh, I ask that you hold the elements until everyone's been served that we can eat and drink together as one family. If you're not participating in communion today, we're, we're, we're glad that you're here. We invite you to come forward as well. Just put your arm across your chest and, and Pastor Brian and I can offer a prayer of blessing for you here at the table. Those who are serving can come forward at this time. Let us receive the gifts that God has for his people.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. I invite you to stand that we can respond to this table uh, with prayer and with song and confession together as God's people. Lord Jesus Christ, we hold fast to your promise. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. We rejoice in your sure forgiveness and steadfast love. With thankfulness, let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Let us declare our faith in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised to life on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Afterwards, he appeared to his followers and to all the apostles. This we have received and this we believe. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to continue uh, our worship through a time of giving. It's a chance to respond to the generosity of God. So I'm going to invite for the, the greeters, there's a, a gray basket that you can put your uh, communion cup in. And then there's also a silver uh, offering plate if you'd like to give a gift. Um, you can also, if you're interested in giving a gift to the work of the church, you can also do so um, through the website or by text. You'll see a, a note in your order. I uh, just want to take a moment to say welcome. Uh, glad that we, you are here to worship, especially if you're visiting uh, thanks for joining us today. Um, there is a black uh, pad, uh, information pad under the chair in the center aisle. If you're sitting in that chair in the center aisle, reach down and pick that up and pass it down. It'd be great to fill out and know who you're worshiping with today. And if you're uh, visiting and, and would like to, uh, Pastor Brian and I to follow up with you, you know, please leave your information and we'd be happy to, to check in and see if you want to learn more about the church. Uh, one other reminder is that we have coffee and bagels after the service. Um, they're in the hallway right behind you. Uh, you can and grab them there, hang out there, or, or go out and enjoy the grounds of the school, the playground, and the, the tables. Uh, but hope you can stay after. A uh, chance for us to spend time together and get to know each other uh, better. Let's continue uh, giving uh, worship by giving our gifts to the work of the church.
please stand and join us for the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to now God's blessing. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. You may go in peace. Amen.